I'm not finished yet. You said I'm not the E. You wanna make a bet? Remember this line? You in the danger zone? I figured you would. Now leave me alone. Yeah, this is episode 19 of Raw Radio. We're almost at episode 20. We're gonna keep it going. And what you just heard was EPMD. You're a customer. Perfect show to start with because we're gonna talk a lot about capitalism, buying, selling, thriving economy shitting on us everything all of the above but we're going to get to a very important issue today and i have a guest with me who's going to help me maybe answer everything or, or come to a solution because he's had some experience ara manugian thank you for being on the show ara thank you for having me on you're very welcome um i understand that i canceled the show on you last week because of our sound engineer we all have schedules to keep you know how it is of course of and course. i'm not blaming any one person but we all you know it's hard for everybody to come together at the same time same channel every week exactly Ara, um, what is your history? Because the reason I got you on, because you said you had some activism background, journalism. Yeah, um, not just journalism. Journalism uh, was a result of the activism. Okay. Um, I started doing my activism quite a number of years ago right. in Armenia. Uh, and it all started pretty much on a visit when I was there in 1989. It was my first visit. Mm-hmm. And it was right at the uh, fall of communism, right at the, the cusp oh, okay. of the fall of communism. And it was really obvious what was going on, um, even though the, we, were, we were there on a project. Mm-hmm. My parents were there to rebuild a library uh-huh. in Stepanavan, which was the, uh, in the earthquake zone. And I went as a videographer um, with them. That was, my, that was my front. To document what's to going document. on after the fall of communism. Well, no, not to document that, to document their library project. Oh, the library project. Yeah. Okay, your parents. And okay. fortunately, when I went there, I grabbed a bunch of 8mm blank tapes and mm-hmm. carried them on with me mm-hmm. because the bag that had all of the 8mm tapes right. never showed up. Um, it was really clear that uh, we weren't really that welcome, welcome there to be documenting a lot of stuff. This was in the still under Soviet control? Yeah, it was. Right at the, right at the tail end. There was still, right. there was already a glasnost and perestroika and all uh-huh. that stuff, but it wasn't really, it hadn't really set in, you know, right, it was right, right at the very end. And of course end. the Soviets want to uh, blanket anybody who's trying to document or make noise of any situations going on, but you took the risk, maybe possible arrest, threats? Mm, or I wouldn't say arrest because I kind of did it in a naive, like kind of, I tried to act as naive as possible. Good, good. And um, I was always disappearing uh, when the government officials were, you know, <laughs> getting my parents drunk. <laughs> I wasn't drinking and I was going outside to get fresh air and then I'd end up in neighbors' houses and stuff like that. Right. And they were telling me their stories of how life was really bad. And this was 89. This was supposed to be... And they had, it had been bad for a while, even up to that point. Now, that's the perfect time for like revolutionaries, people with independent thought like you, to be in that type of place, to be in that land, in that time, right? Yeah. It, was, uh, it, was, it wasn't my intention to be a revolutionary, mm-hmm. per se. Right. Um, it was more along the line of just to see what's going on and just to get familiar with the the homeland, the, uh-huh, you know right. our, our our culture. And what is your what is your concern? What do you really care about? What do you want to change, well, little by little, with these efforts? What I want to change, or what I would hope that could change, yeah. is the attitude of people, common people, right. towards their responsibility to society in general. Right. And it really, even in the U.S., it doesn't exist at a level that it should. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of indifference. People don't really give a damn about, you know, what happens to the guy next to them or whatever so much as they care about, you know, what they have, or whether they drive a Lexus or, right. you know, some fancy car or have jewelry and all that kind of it's stuff. Al- it's always the my, 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 me, me, me yeah. and not really trying and to change anything. it's that way in Armenia oh, now, too. Oh, you think it's a game? Because I got to tell you, in my building, I live in an apartment building and I have Armenian neighbors, <laughs> um, about five of them in this unit. And they live in an apartment. It's a one-bedroom apartment. But there's a 500 series BMW sitting in my parking lot. And a couple of others BMWs. 700 series. Yeah, it's Jones status. But, I mean, wouldn't you want to buy real estate before you buy a Mercedes? Isn't that like misappropriation of priorities? Yeah, you would. But then you would lose your welfare and you would lose your, uh, all the, you know, the benefits you get. From well, what do you mean? Can't you use income? those welfare payments to make real estate uh, mortgage yeah, and they, they do in their kids' names and stuff, but they don't live in the houses. So, yeah, no, that, that does exist. But the reality is, is that, generally speaking, people are pretty indifferent to... The, the unpleasant things that go on around them. Right. And that's where activism is differs from, you know, activists differ from right. the common people in the world. And that is the main issue that this show I wanted to circle around is, um, will Khloe Kardashian's baby grow up in a healthy family? 
No. Um, it's about, um, <laughs> is it important to talk about things or just is ignorance really bliss? You know what I mean? Because when I bring up issues that are going on in the world with my friends, there's a, a certain bit of understanding and then that's it. Right. They learn and then what can you do about it? They go, oh, wow, that's pretty bad. Oh, did you know BP oil is leaking more than they announce on TV? Now, what does someone say to that? How can someone change the world by knowing that piece of information? Is there power in just knowing the things that are kept from us? Uh, the things that the news masks? Well, like, like you said, Alex, a lot of people don't think that anything will change if they right. get involved and they inconvenience themselves to right. actually take a stance. And that's the one thing that, that my activism in Armenia, I can say has proven to be a false statement or a false presumption by those that think that you know one person can't make enough noise to make changes. Um, I've been involved, as I said, in activism actively, and right. that means in, in, on a government level, in a public you know, forum, and so on, since I would say 2000. So for the last nine, 10 years, um, you know, I've been actually making noise, making a lot of enemies um, in the process, because that's just... That naturally just, happens yeah. as soon as someone is a bit of a dissident. Right. Yeah. And, and the, the role that I was playing in Armenia was kind of like the social worker mm-hmm. that intervenes with the parent and the abused child type syndrome. Right. And it's interesting because when you actually confront corrupt people mm-hmm. and people that are criminals or that are, that are involved in criminal activity yeah, in that sense, yeah. they're, at least it used to be, I don't know if it is so much now, it's actually a little bit less now, they would get embarrassed and they would actually make changes and actually like wake up. And some people, I guess they just figured, you know, it's the norm. You know, everyone's doing it, uh-huh. and so it's okay. Just by outing them, you got them to yeah, just reevaluate by, their just methods. By, just by calling them, calling, you know, them, calling them on, uh-huh. on what they're doing and saying, hey, what's this about? I mean, I, there, were, there were times, there was, I remember one year where uh-huh. I would actually have to make maybe a phone call every other day or every day uh-huh. to somebody in the government and say, I'm, you know, on behalf of this person, I'm monitoring what's going on. Can you tell me a little bit about what, what you guys are doing and why, it's, why this is happening? And, and in Soviet Russia, did you get nine, any answers? Oh, yeah. Nine really? times out of ten, they would drop the case. They would call, the prosecutor would call this poor family. And I had huh. one family. Um, you didn't get a prokhodzila, pashol, kashi. Yeah, no, no. No, they were actually They were actually, yeah. They actually, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My foot up a dog's ass all day yeah. long. Wow. So, you know, they would, like, there was this one family, they, they were neighbors of mine. I, where I lived in Armenia was actually in Nagorno-Karabakh, or in Artsakh. Uh-huh. So I was in one of the regions, right? and in the Martuni region, um, and have my house, have, you know, whatever I, I had there, I established myself there. And one day, my neighbor comes and says, my son is being prosecuted, He's, they're criminal uh, criminal charges have been filed against him uh-huh. because his girlfriend who's a year younger than him is pregnant and there's been no complaints uh, by anybody he was 17 she was 16 she was considered he was considered an adult she was considered a minor so they were going to uh, yeah, so they were going to prosecute him um, for this and they had called him in and so it just took one visit to the prosecutor's office by you by me and they showed me the law and it was Soviet law and I said excuse me you know, the Soviet Union collapsed long ago. Why are right. we following this law? You know, you're destroying an Armenian family, basically, that's starting out because they have You're not related at all with this kid. No, no, no. You're no, just no, there no. because yeah. you, you, all of a sudden you because just want the father, to make some Yeah, the father told me that this is what's going on. He came, actually, because he needed money to pay a bribe to get the charges dropped. Oh, Jesus. And, and how said, did the father find you, by the way? Because everybody knew me there. Okay. Yeah, they knew that I was involved in activism and right, so on. Right, right. So and said, that's why the officials were after you everywhere yeah, you went, exactly. right? Well, no, Good they weren't job, after Ari. me. This yeah. is what I like. This is the kind of people I like on the show. What's interesting is they really weren't after me, per se, because what I would do is I would also interact with them, mm-hmm. um, go to you know barbecues and drink with them, get drunk with them, all that kind of stuff. Right, and you become pals with them. Of course, there's a certain loyalty. <laughs> Drinking partners, yeah, you, know, you have can't a not lo- drink. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't have gotten support, huh? Yeah, exactly. But they're like, all right, this guy threw exactly. back four shots of arach the other day. Yeah, I'm gonna go to him. And I would usually <laughs> out drink them because I got used to it. I mean, I was never a drinker nice. in the states. I'll Went over there the and locals. I learned how to yeah, and Good I learned how you. to drink and you know keep my cool and talk to them and. Karozume. I mean, uh-huh. I would, I would like preach to them basically, and they would listen, and they understood. They really understood that, yeah, what we're doing is wrong, but our hands are already soiled. I heard that so many times. Right, right. You know, what right. can we do? You can do something, we can't. Right. But do you feel like you make more of a change by being the change or by making those uh, quote unquote annoying calls? Both. Um, Both. You, by being an example, 
by living a certain way, right? By not, you know, uh, having your eye on somebody else's wife, by doing this type. People see that, right? And they respect that by not smoking, for instance. I'm not a right. smoker. Right. I didn't smoke. There were a lot of people that like gave up smoking because of that and respected that and understood that that was wrong. Uh-huh. It wasn't healthy. Not that it was wrong, but it just wasn't healthy. Sure. Um, the drinking, of course, I enjoyed, so I didn't give that up. Um, that was not going to happen. Uh-huh. But uh-huh. You know. a little sip here. And there. So, yeah. of all the things that after you went on this trip to um, post-Soviet Armenia, of all the things that you set out to do. What do you think would be your biggest achievement that you came back and you're like, this made my trip worth it. I really think I changed some perspectives. I think a few people did 180s because of me being there. Right. Okay. What, what would you say is that main movement that really stuck with you? There was, there was one investigation that we did. It was an undercover investigation. Nice. And it was, I always enjoyed those because you kind of, it, you got to roll Sean, you play. got some X-Files music? Yeah. So uh, basically, we went to the United Arab Emirates to mm-hmm. track down trafficking victims and we knew about them. Trafficking. Had, traffic, human trafficking. It was oh, women and children traffic. who were actually being sold into sex slavery rings in an Arab country, into the United Arab Emirates. Wow, okay. And this is something that had never really, <laughs> this is something that had never really been exposed before. Perfect. Because most uh, governments would not touch it. Right. Um, we did have the support of the U.S. State Department, not through my intervention, but the journalist that I was working with. Uh-huh. He was able to get $6,000, which was... Which was a good, not not a huge amount of money. Six thousand dollars to go towards to go go towards our initial trip that we went there just to poke around for a couple of days. Wow. Yeah. So and then after that we got some wealthy diaspora Armenians to give us a, a big chunk of money to go over there. And the result was we came out with a documentary that you can find on YouTube. Uh-huh. Um, it's called Desert Nights. Desert uh, Nights. Desert Nights. If you if you YouTube my name Ara Manugian, um, or YouTube. If you search my name Ara Manugian. Okay. Uh, M-A-N-O-O-G-I-A-N. And this is a little documentary about how you were funded to out these human traffickers? No, this was a documentary to expose a human trafficking ring of Armenian women and children okay. to the United Arab Emirates. And you, and you shot this stuff? We shot this okay. with hidden cameras, mm-hmm. and, and we interviewed girls, and wow. we you know, picked them up at, at clubs, and so on and so forth. Did it go past YouTube? Like, did any news people use this clip? Like, look at what's going oh, on? Oh, yeah. There yeah? are a lot of these human trafficking uh, organizations now, or the anti-human, not the human trafficking mm-hmm. organizations. They may learn from something, too, but um, the anti-human trafficking organizations a lot of them use this material, and it also was on television in Armenia. And it just to give a warning to people of you know you may be naive to right. to what the world is around you, but you better know about this. Absolutely, because when somebody comes to offer you a good job to go overseas to be a babysitter, you better think twice because right. they're at the time there were two thousand girls already over there when we went there. Is Armenian that how they girls. lure them? They tell the girls there's babysitting opportunities, babysitting jobs, uh, flower shops in Bulgaria, picking fruit in Greece, anything, office wow. jobs. And some of these girls were educated. Some of these girls, I mean, it's like, how did you get here? But those were the. And did best. you dry up every local babysitting job to start looking? In, uh, um... No, we we actually we had done some work with an orphanage. No, I'm of... talking about these girls that are oh. looking for work over overseas. Like, there's so many babysitting jobs here. I mean, yeah, exactly. There's got to be some. Well, kind of a lure other than well no because they're paying $300 $400 a month in Armenian terms at that time I see that was big money I see so we were basically able to expose the trafficking ring we found out who was the head of the trafficking ring of the Armenian girls even got pictures of this guy um, wow. It's all in the documentary. The head or the, the one head, guy who was... It was some Arab guy. His name was... He went by the name of Assad. Jesus. And But Assad is the name of the king in Syria. And he is... He was from, uh, he was from Syria. Yeah. So he basically um, was the head of the tracking ring of the Armenians. And then we were able to implicate the prosecutor general of Armenia in this. The authorities in in the Emirates and the police and everybody. I mean, everyone was involved. Now, these organizations, I'm sure, are pretty well funded and have made money over time. Were you ever afraid of um, a personal attack for going onto their? Terrain? You know, I get that question a lot, and it's at the time when you do it. Looking back at it now, yeah, we we almost got killed like twice while we were mm-hmm. there. But when you do it, you're not even thinking about that. That's not even right. the the thing to think about at that moment. You can think about it later and you know go, what the hell did I just do? Right. But um, at the time, I was more concerned about what if this continues. Yeah, you, you know? had a drive to yeah. to set out some truth. And and that's that's the whole thing is unfortunately people don't have that um, in them for some reason. And I don't know why. I mean, I, I have I, it in them to go out and really to go out there and really make do change, something to make a something. change. And it's a fear factor, also, right? Because the reality is, those people that are 
uh, that are are you know uh, carrying on these criminal activities, right. they're in a lot of fear themselves of, of being course. caught. Of course, now in the Emirates, especially with guys bit, like you around. Yeah, well, and in the Emirates, it's a little bit different though because they have the protection of the government. In Armenia, it's a little different because they have the protection of the government. Sure. So it's money talks. They had the money, we had the drive, so the two of them, when you mix that together, it kind of neutralizes. And it was very important for you to take the shots with the locals so that you can get some Abs- backing here and oh, there, absolutely. right? Oh, absolutely, and it really helped. Let right. me tell you, the hitman that they sent over to the Emirates to kill yeah. us, yeah. the guy knew me, and he respected me. The hitman they the sent hit to Emirates sent to, to kill us. Yeah. I don't know if I'll ever say that in my oh, lifetime, but I hope I do. <laughs> no, yeah. it doesn't sound like a game yeah. at all. No, and it, 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 this really did happen, and we were warned that... The, this hit squad was coming over, mm-hmm. and so we sent over the sent back the whole team. I was the one with the American citizenship, so I stayed with copies because we had gotten like the the like the smoking guns. We collected all the smoking guns. We had to get back to our sure. information. So I sent the whole team back, and if they got caught on the way, I was to get on a plane, go to France, go to some other country, you know, right away, and get the information. That plus, Wait, they made, were ready to come and bump people off. They sent a they sent a, a hit squad, and I actually flew back with them to Armenia. Not to arrest you, but no, to, to bump kill you us. to kill you. Oh yeah, because what they do over there is if they catch you, they take you out to the Sahara Desert and mm-hmm. they, they basically bleed you. Next thing you know, once you tree, you're dead. Yeah, that's it. Wow. Yeah. So and those were things that we really didn't think about. I mean, there was one guy on our team who was really scared, and I couldn't understand why he was scared. Mm. I didn't. I wasn't married at the time. Maybe I because a hit kids. squad is on their way to come. Yeah, get you. I, I think that that did concern them. But he was more concerned, and this guy was big too. Uh-huh. He was a cameraman, right? Um, so he wasn't really an, an investigator or anything. But we brought him along because we were planning on doing some real interviews, like with real cameras and everything. So it had to look professional and shot well. Of course. So this right. guy was scared. I mean, he was sweating bullets. The whole I'm going to check out, and I urge my listeners to check it out. What was the YouTube video called? Uh, it's called Desert Nights. Desert Nights. And again, if you, uh, if you Google my name or whatever, it will come up. Yeah, without our Manu again. Yeah. And uh, do you think these guys are still doing their business over there right now? Oh, they are. They are. Yeah, it didn't really stop. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it slowed down to a certain degree right. at one point. But the biggest problem we had was we were able to get the United Arab Emirates basically on the shit list of the United States government. And the United States government has a list. It's called Trafficking in Persons. Right. And they were on Tier 3, which is the Trafficking in Persons reports. That's what Tier is. Um, Three, which means that they're supposed to be sanctioned. They're supposed to be that type of thing. Right. What ended up happening was on October 18th, 2005, uh-huh. I get a visit from a, late, a nice lady from the State Department in Yerevan. She wanted to see me. Uh-huh. She obviously wanted me to give her some information, which I rarely gave. The, I never gave the State Department information because they'll use it against the country instead of for the benefit of the country. Right. So I gave her the standard stuff. Whatever was pretty much out on the Internet, out on the web is what I was repeating. And then I asked her just... You know, very candidly. So, what happened with the uh, tier three and the sanctions and so on? And she said the Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice uh-huh. and President Bush had a fight. She she called it a fight. Okay. And Bush won. He waived the sanctions. And what happened was they got put on a lower list, tier two watch list, which means no sanctions. And he claimed that they had made changes to uh, eradicate this trafficking, this trafficking issue, which wasn't true. Probably bullshit. And what really happened was... Why would Bush want to protect this going well, on? Well, because... They're homies? They're, yeah, pretty much, because... Uh, or is the, that his pleasure? The, the vice president, mm-hmm. Cheney, who is the... Let's call him one of the major shareholders of Halliburton, which is a defense contractor and so on. Okay. They were in the process of moving their offices to Dubai, to avoid being audited right. in Texas, if you remember yes, something I like that. Yes, I do remember that a couple so of years ago. So that's what motivated them was money and this protection that they needed. I see. So it was all politics. Dirty and, business, yeah. dirty work. And I can tell you that there's got to be 30, 40, 50,000 trafficking victims in the United Arab Emirates today wow. as we speak. The number actually went up after we left, by the way. It, it got up to 2,500, roughly, wow. of Armenians alone. And that's a huge number. I mean, that's a big percentage of you know, what we're talking about. So, unfortunately, that's, uh, that was, I would say that but was But you one did of the, stir. Oh, you stirred, you oh, got attention. Oh, yeah. We you, got, turned, you diverted attention towards this. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. <clears throat> but at the same time, it's still happening. They yes, still it's have still happening, but there are YouTube videos now of, of, of your work. There, there's right. this conversation. There's our listeners now there, knowing about There's YouTube videos on. of oil leaking into the ocean, right. too. I mean, yeah. it's and not the way stopping it's interesting, anything. What's interesting also is at, there was one point, and I don't know if it's still going on now, our websites were blocked. They couldn't watch them in the Emirates. 
um, of the course. YouTube stuff was right. completely blocked. Right. And it was around that time, and it was everyone was pointing the finger at us, like you know, look what you did to YouTube. You know what, Ara? You could be a good CIA agent, I think, because like you have this look where you can be German, Italian, Armenian, whatever, and then yeah. you have this fight in you that you you don't mind coming up with like, you know facades and, and not even lies but like little white lies to get away with things i feel like you would be a really good cia agent yeah, have you ever get, considered not really it's it doesn't interest me i, I don't no? like working for governments right right um, on you know, especially I mean, this one right especially this one with bush and condoleezza making bullshit exactly pardons. exactly and i've even written to uh to what's her name hillary clinton i believe her name is the yeah. secretary of state yeah i actually wrote to her uh to bring up this issue again i never got a anything back and it's like they don't give they give a rat's ass yeah. as long as they've got U.S. foreign policy taken yeah. care of. Trafficking victims don't mean anything. And these and the other thing is that I have to say, and what made this trafficking issue so gratifying for me was these were people that society had pretty much spit on. You know, right. they just kind of, especially Armenians. It's like you know, why are you wasting your time with even my own. Uh, relatives in Armenia were saying like why are you yeah of course you're gonna you, get that right are, you're gonna yeah. get that why are you wasting your time with these see I think those are the same you know? people that when you share local news they turn a blind eye like eh shrug the shoulders yeah. I can't do anything oh, about yeah. it I think that's the same energy that yeah, is fighting against us I think they're right yeah but see I'm glad that I have you as the <laughs> alternate, alternate voice the devil's advocate because you do have a point there and what can we do Nada. with these huge problems in the world well like I said Though I have a support base, I'm one person, and uh, we've made a lot of noise. My yeah, support right. base and I have made a lot of noise and a lot of changes. We did an investigation on uh, adoptions out of Armenia, where non-Armenians were going in, taking healthy Armenian babies, having them certified as hivant or sick, right. like disabled, and in order in to order to adopt them and paying large sums of money and bribes to government officials. Right. That was probably one of the first investigations that that I did that was in, that became public and it was a big stink laws were changed right all adoptions were put on hold I mean Good. everything came to a grinding stop do you hear stop. this Sean do you hear this yeah I know I mean the men went beyond just talking about it which I believe it has power and we'll get more into it on the second half but he actually went in there and stirred some shit up and got people to change their minds okay the, I'm, I'm not dogging anything that you've done right but that's in Armenia right mm-hmm. right this is the United States it's a completely different situation you got completely different issues, but but and he you got a tackled the problem that he control. well, yeah, you he know, tackled int- the problem that he feels he can encompass. Like Ara can't take on America's problems, but he feels he can go oh, to no, a small town in Armenia. I'm, I'm not dogging and, that. I'm saying yeah. I'm talking about me as an American that lives here. No, right. But well, actually, can't you learn actually, from that actually, Sean, you know what's interesting is when I lived here in the United States um, in Burbank, I had actually spoken to city council. I actually organized some people. Because, again, I'm an activist, right. um, before Armenia even, and we actually made changes to get our voice heard and our demands heard. Because what it is is you've got you've, you've to put a spin, on, a spin on things with common sense, logic. Right. If you present a logical, you know, a logical argument, it's really hard to counter that and to say no. And when you say no, then Absolutely. you do the embarrassment campaign. And the embarrassment campaign works really well and it brings people to their knees it really right. especially politicians right they don't want to hear bad stuff and it's not difficult to do these embarrassment campaigns sure, especially when they're at yeah. fault let me give you an example i, I know that i'm going to stray off a little bit on on the subject of armenia but this show was going to be called straying off if it wasn't called raw radio so yeah, don't worry about there it you, well, that's good go for it um there was um i know that a few of you have been to armenia or maybe everybody's been to armenia mm-hmm. that's in the room here uh, you've heard of, or you've maybe heard of, uh, a gentleman named Monte Melkonian. He was, yeah, uh, and you actually wrote a little article about this. Yes. Can we get into this on the second sure. half? Because okay, you, another that. thing that you mentioned you do is you manage a band called... It's actually a singer. He's a singer. And Nick Egibian, DJ Nick, a.k.a. Nick. Mm-hmm. And um, can you tell us a little about this guy before we play a song? Sure. Okay. Um, basically, during my human rights activism mm-hmm. in Armenia... Uh, I was monitoring the uh, entry examinations to higher education institutions. Okay. And one of the places that I targeted was the Gomidas Music Conservatory in Yerevan. Right. And it was known for uh, conscripts, paying, families paying bribes to get them from not serving in the army and getting them into music schools. One right. of those places that you could actually divert your service, uh, your military service. So I was monitoring this, and while I was monitoring this, this this Nick Egibian, EJ Nick, uh-huh. um, he was also trying to get in. He's a musician, a, a very good musician. Right. He's a composer. He's he writes his music. He produces everything, the whole nine yards. And Nick was 
the only way he could get in was by full scholarship. And there okay. only, there's only like one or two spots for this. Yeah. And so Nick, who doesn't fail a test, gets perfect score, whatever, they marked him down one, one uh, mark on his entrance examination so he wouldn't get a full scholarship. Without full scholarship, he wasn't going to get in. So he actually got in because he, without my assistance, right. he had actually made a carbon copy of his test and went to the dean um, and presented this and say, what is this about? Right. You know, here's the, here's the real test, right. and somebody's changed my test that you have the copy of that was penciled in uh-huh. or whatever. So he was actually able to get in. I heard about him through my wife, who was actually attending at the conservatory. Oh, okay. And we became friends. And from there on, I kind of I saw what a talent this guy was. You heard his and music. So I heard I heard his the songs that he was writing right. like on the fly, basically. Right. Nice. Um, and so I decided I was going to support him and you know make his dream come true because he was one of those people that you really have to support to get. To give a fishing pole because yeah. they will fish and they will pull in like. So whales. you helped him record his stuff. I or helped him. How do you no, manage him? I helped him. Um, eventually, I got him a producer. Oh, okay. But then the producer kind of flaked. Okay. But while he was working with this producer who was from Canada, uh-huh. um, he was he learned how this guy was doing on the computer. Right. He was learning. He learned the programs he and so on. It. He picked up on all that stuff, uh-huh. and I and he he kind of was reluctant because he had recorded three songs, half recorded three songs with this guy in like three months or six months or whatever it was and he wanted to bow out on this guy but since I introduced him he didn't want to offend me and when he told me this I said what do you mean offend you this guy's jerking you off you know you're going to dump him what do you need to make things happen and he said well if I had a computer I could do it myself and I said I'm going back to America I'll give you my laptop for right. now, and then I'll bring back with you with me a computer. Wow, that's huge! And so I gave him my laptop, and with on the keyboard, not without it, not with a keyboard like sure. a, pia- a, a piano keyboard, sure, ABC type yeah, keyboard. Yeah, use that he to actually, make music. He was making music, and he like eleven songs. See, that goes a, to show when you have it in you, you really need yeah. just a rudimentary so instruments. Today, Nick Igibian is one of the top artists in okay. Armenia. And he's sought after, even in the U.S. now, we're trying to negotiate a, a deal for him. I'm his manager. Okay. Um, it wasn't, not that I asked him, he asked me to become his manager. Okay. And in this business, you have to be a human rights activist to be a good manager, apparently. So you can, <laughs> you know, kick people's asses and if find they try these talents. That. Yeah, exactly. So this is Nika Gibian. The song is called I Like It, and it's on his Serenity album. Let's hear a little clip. I like that intro. This is dancey. I can I can see this at a dance hall. Club. Is he using an auto-tuner? I hope not. A little bit? Doesn't sound like he is. Um, I'm not sure. Auto-tune? Okay. I like it. I get it. That's good. Um, what I like about him is he's using his real voice. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, a lot he's of times... He's got some songs in there that, that are, you know, electrified or whatever, you know, that yeah. type of thing. But I heard the Serenity album. He actually has some that are a little slower. This is one of his dancier, more upbeat right. ones. But the, the fact that he uses his real voice sure. is, is a plus because I don't know if you remember 90s rock when a lot of guys started singing like this mm. and like... That's not your voice. What the hell are you doing? Right. Sean, do you have some 90s rock? I need to put this point out there. 
yeah. <laughs> and when Nick sings Hootie live, and the Blowfish, the calling people scratch. They they think he's like lip syncing. When he sings live, he just he's perf- on it. Oh, huh? he's on it. So th- he's big in Armenia. This guy, they he's, know him. He's big in Armenia. All of the top stars have him writing music for him, like uh-huh. Andre, Shushan Bedrosian, right. even Sirusho. He just wrote a song. Oh for. yeah, yeah. So he's he's known. Oh, good right for now. him. And here in the states, there's some big stars that are looking at his music right and now. And was he there before you managed him, or after you got no, his stuff it's out? Basically, he to. It's basically after. Um, no, he started to. He was in a song contest. Tata Simonian had this song contest. It was a fixed thing. Right. He should have won, <laughs> but because he wouldn't sign a contract with them, yeah, he lost. He was like last place because he wouldn't well, sign a what contract. What did the contract say? Give me everything, you get nothing. Pretty much, yeah, yeah for thirty years or something. So Tata Simonian thought he was the American music industry. Over exactly, there. Okay. exactly. But Nick learned a lot from that contest from the producers there. Right. He picked. He got like sound files. He got all sorts of stuff, samplings and stuff, like sixty thousand samplings. They gave him all these CDs. Wow. And so he was like really happy about that. But one thing is that Nick's songs basically they're not for Armenia. They are definitely for America. And they're, I'm right. not going to give the names of some very top top. I mean, we're talking about real artists here. Uh-huh. They're now looking at buying some of his songs. They are. And yeah. Wow. Good for and him. So hopefully, that if we can news, even man. sell one, right. then he's got it made. Look at you. You're not only activists in the Ming. You're also managing music. Yeah, and it wasn't any. It wasn't anything I was ever thinking of ever doing. It was when he came up to me and said, "I want you to be my manager." Mm-hmm. You know, and I thought to myself, "Well, it, because he was getting people pressuring him, like Tata Simonian and these kind of guys, like to sign contracts." And so he figured, if he had a manager like me, right. they got to talk to me. Right. And if they're going to try to jerk him off, then they're going to, you know. Yeah, and you're uh, you're a businessman now. Uh, yeah. What I do you mean, do? What do you do for work? Um, well, right now I'm just writing actually, you're writing. but I'm trained as a security consultant. Oh, okay. So I and your activism has kind of uh, settled down a little bit. No, not really. Still going on. Uh, my wife wishes more. You have a wife? I, do you have do you have, I have kids? I have a wife. I have a kid. Okay, um, but but and you still haven't slowed down. You're still no, you're still fighting. No, absolutely. You still got that fire burning inside oh, yeah, of you. Definitely, that never Good. goes away ever. Good. Well, so, I always thought uh, uh, the older you get, the dimmer that fire gets. Is that true, or is it up to you to keep it? I hope so. Yeah, no. It, unfortunately, it doesn't. In fact, my grandfather, who who is, I guess. My, my one of my role models. Right. Um, he was an activist from a very early age until his death, and he was almost a hundred when he died. Wow. He was an activist. I mean, he was heavy duty. So you, that's where you get your f- yeah. your your fire from. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So it's not any one concern that fuels you. It's it's whatever the the land, whatever is wrong with the land that you care about, right? Exactly. And you know, I don't go looking for problems. Yeah. Problems find me. Right. And it's almost like. If if somebody comes up to me and says, you know, this guy is doing this or this this government is doing that, I can't just go to sleep and say, okay, whatever. You know, it's not my. I like that about Yara yeah. because th- that was the whole point of this show. Is there is power? I believe, although Shanta Sound Engineer might say otherwise, that just by speaking about it, we are away from the fear, away from the paranoia that comes with not knowing what's going on. Right, exactly. When we're at home alone, in, glued in front of the television, getting. One percent of real news on our news networks, I believe people get afraid because they know something's going on in the world. They know because look at the economy, yet there's nothing about the economy on TV. Look at the environment, yet there's nothing about the environment on TV. Right. Look at the wars we're in, yet there's nothing about the wars on TV. Yeah, but what, what, what are you changing about the war I'll tell you right now. or BP by talking about it? I'll tell you right now. Nothing. I believe as soon as... No, no, come on. You've got to be a little bit more open-minded about I'm it. I'm sorry to call it the war on terror. It's actually the Overseas Contingency Operations. My they bad. changed the name? Yeah. <laughs> well, is that okay. what it is now? Yeah. But anyway, what I was trying to say is as soon as you talk to your friends... And get the truth out there, and, 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 and some people actually learn something they didn't know before that conversation. Uh, don't you think a little bit of that fear and that... No, I think they have more stress now because they know about so it. You don't think that's lifted? No. <laughs> I think they're just a little bit more stressed personally, out. Personally, I get confident when I go and, and investigate a new story. I gain a, b- a bit of confidence. Like, now it is my job to kind of share this because I know a lot of people don't know it. Yeah. And that kind of fuels my fire. And if uh, more people do that, I don't see how that could be bad because, when it comes okay, to solving the because problem. Because you t- you're talking about it to your friend, then you go jump in your car and go buy gas and put in your car, and then your BP still makes $280 billion sure. like last year. And sure, so but what, what if you really changed to go to Exxon now? We all decide to go well, to Exxon Who cares now? if it's Exxon or Chevron or Amoco or BP or whatever name it is? You it's all get the a same. Let yeah. them, we get a bike. Well, well what I'm saying is let them feel a little bit of 
pushback. Because if there is none, they will unleash their forces on you without lobby groups, well, without know, these clever ways of getting their agendas across. You know what's interesting is, there's one thing I have to agree with Shant, because I'm seeing this happening in Armenia. It's a, kind of a trend that's going on. Yeah. In the early days of my activism in Armenia, I was really effective because these people were new to this, basically. These criminals were new to this lifestyle. The people at Exxon, the people at BP, they've been doing it for you know years and years and years, and they're so indifferent. It's like they probably laugh, you know, if somebody like Sean is saying, they just yeah, laugh. Right. They go, ha, ha, right, just like yeah, the Wall Street still, guys you gotta, laugh. You're, yeah, you're stuck on right. us, and you got to buy our gas, whether you like it or not. But they are laughing because a lot of us are at home, locked in, in front of these TVs. That's why they are laughing. Yeah. No, it's because you can't do anything without oil. Because That's we why. haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> yeah, okay? I know. People deserve the government that people get the government that they deserve. True. I feel like we get we deserve this government because look at us we're fat and lazy. This is this show is something to go against that. This is the first step towards that, and I feel there's power in knowing. There's confidence that comes when that fear is lifted away. Well, I've got to tell you something about Americans, and uh, and this is you know no, I, I don't want to offend anybody. Well, yeah, I do want to offend. I want to offend everybody. Offend, but um, basically, <clears throat> this is this happened a few probably 2005. I just gotten married, and. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a priest from Asurpazan, from Jerusalem. Okay. My, by the way, my uncle is the patriarch of Jerusalem. Okay. And so this was his, the, the person that's involved with the politics at the church and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. And an old family friend. He actually wed us in Shushi, in Artsakh and whatever. So he introduces me to this gentleman who was 70-something years old from San Francisco. He was there visiting Armenia with his wife. And the, the man was obviously, um, and there's nothing wrong with this, of course, this, the man was a Republican, very conservative, very, you know, whatever. And Surpazan calls me in and says, tell him a little bit about your work. And I was doing the human trafficking investigation right. at that time. That, that was, it was like the tail the, end. The, the priest in Armenia told you? The, the priest in Armenia tell told us a little me, bit about tell, your this, work. tell this gentleman from San Francisco about this work. Okay. So I told him, and then he says, and... Because I had had the conversation with Surpaz, and I've known him since I was three. So um, the priest I've known since I was very young, because he he was here in the states actually, sure. and then he went over to Jerusalem and so on. So I asked the gentleman. I said, you know, we. They said, what's the problems in Armenia? I said, well, one of the problems we have is our economic situation is not good. Right. And there's a, a little organization that kind of screwed us up. Um, it's called the World Bank and the International Monetary sure. Fund. And then I asked, and I said, oh, the World Trade Organization, you can throw them Joe. in, and so on and so forth. So I basically, I asked the gentleman, I said, do you have a VCR at home? Mm-hmm. He goes, yeah, we do. I said, how much did you pay for that? Mm-hmm. He said, I, he goes, I don't know. I said, $100, $70? Yeah, he goes, about that. And I said, how much do you think it should cost you? Right. And he says, I don't know. And I said, well, I'll tell you. It cost you $70 because there's somebody in some country who's pretty much been enslaved to work for low wages to put together your VCR so you, an American, okay. can live like a king in your country. And what it comes down to is there are organizations that our government has, right. um, which they control, like the International Monetary Fund, sure. the World Bank, the World Trade Organization, sure. um, you know, USAID, yeah, for instance, I know and so about on. That. Okay, uh-huh. You know about all these uh-huh. organizations. And what their, their primary function is is to go into countries and the U.S. military uses a technique called low-intensity conflict. Sure. They go in and they stir things up. They right. create conflicts. And then they go in there and they try to fix them. And in the process, they suck the resources right. out of these countries for the benefit of us, the Americans. Oil, who, whatever it yeah, may be. The Americans who sit on their couch in front of the TV. The Congo is one of these examples, and, right? Yeah. The Congo? Yeah. In Sudan? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's all over. There's a, a website called... 50years.org, mm-hmm. 50years.org, and these are former employees of the World Bank, the International Monetary Fund that's uh-huh. put this together, that is exposing what really goes on. And the reality is, is that Americans consume the greatest amount of energy resources right. in the world, right. and we are a very small population, so percentage-wise, we are just sucking it in like sure. there's no tomorrow. Okay, Americans are hardcore consumers. The World Bank organizations are bigger than we can tackle. But let me ask you, a man who is wiser than I am, do you really feel deep down inside that from these conversations, by bringing out truth, does Sean's case hold water? Unfortunately, Sean's case does, does hold, hold a bit water. of water. Oh, yeah. Because, again, these are old establishments that know exactly what they're supposed to do. I'm not saying don't do nothing. You're, you're missing no, my but point. You, I, I my thought point you were is, saying don't no, no, do no. nothing. No, no, no. What my point is is that 
talking about it is a bit of masturbation. It's like if I why am I going in and out? It, you, because we're talking about masturbation. If uh, it's better to just what are you doing, man? Okay. Okay, there you go. It's better to just be about it. You know what I mean? Instead of me talking to you about BP and oil and Philly on my car and whatever else, if I just like slowly try to change my lifestyle to the way that I believe it should be, Amen. that's the only thing you can really do. Yeah. Because you can't, there's so many different, um, like people watch The Daily Show, right? And then they get mad at people that watched Fox News, but they're just watching the Fox News for their viewpoint, right. which is The Daily Show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's all this shit that's just geared towards you and you feel like you're doing something because you're listening to this guy who has the same viewpoint as you. It's all bullshit. But like, you're, you're watching The Daily Show even though he's talking against Bush, all of a sudden you're like, I agree with everything he's saying, right? And then you start to question that. Like, why am I agreeing with no, everything No, I'm just he's saying, saying. It's, it, 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 it makes you feel like you're doing something when you're still not doing nothing. You might not change your lifestyle. You're just like, but that's ha, 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 the I'm other side of the media. I think you're wrong. Is, 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 is you, you educating yourself. What about those sayings? Uh, the truth will set you free. Um, you know, all those things that, that there's other ones that I can't remember right now, but it's all about if you unearth the truth, you get to the root of it. If you peel back the well, layers, just remember also, Alex, state the problem uh, first before, before yeah, solving there, it. In there's America, also, it's also liberty and justice for all if you're an American. I mean, there's a lot of things here which, unfortunately, um, America needs it's a very difficult fix here in America. And that's what I like about Armenia. Armenia is, is young, it still hasn't right. been completely destroyed or corrupted or whatever. It's getting there, and it's, a, it's It's getting there, yeah. but I think there's going to be a turnaround. I, I also belong to another organization. I uh-huh. belong to a couple organizations, yeah. actually. Yeah, I heard um, you have 20 email addresses. Yeah, So if you about. want to talk to Ara, send him Ara at yelltv.com, Ara at uh, blogspot.com, exactly. and oh, yeah. Ara at yahoo.tv. Go ahead. Yeah. So um, basically, I belong to an organization called Policy Forum Armenia, mm-hmm. and it's pf-armenia.org. Mm-hmm. And this organization um, is... Uh, consists of we're all volunteers we're all professionals in some way I'm on the human rights section of this is this that Melkonian story that you were this is not the Melkonian story no this is actually an organization which we recently uh, published a 20 years after diaspora Armenian relations okay and we address a lot of issues um, a lot a lot of issues Mm -hmm. which the government so far has not been too responsive to us right Um, in fact there's going to be an event on June 25th, it's a Friday. And what are you going to no, do? No, it's a Saturday. Excuse me. Is it a Saturday or Friday? The 25th is a Friday. It's a Friday. Okay. Um, I think it's a Friday. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a, a Friday. Friday. Okay. And what's uh, going June on? June 25th at Glendale Library. Mm-hmm. And basically, we're going to be presenting a uh, this report, which is Diaspora um, Relations 20 Years After. And it touches on all sorts of subjects. In fact, it kind of touches even Monty Melkonian is actually mentioned in it. Not okay. this particular instance. Uh-huh. He was already mentioned before this thing happened. Okay. But basically, it talks about the diaspora. It talks about Armenia. It talks about the conditions within and so on. Right. And it addresses some real issues that we hope will uh, get some people to think about it okay. at least. And to take some action. And, and it, it's an embarrassment for the Armenian government, of course, who pretty much just wants it to go away. Right. So, but it's not going to go away. I mean, that's that's for sure. So, for the local activists, go to the Glendale Library June twenty fifth and get involved in some issues yeah. going to be it's covered. Start at seven thirty p.m. And what was this Monty Melcomi? If we can just touch on that real quick. Okay. Um, you mean as far as this other thing? The, this other thing that you you were here driven and to kind of uh, bring truth to. Right. Uh, if, well, first of all, if you go to www.thetruthmustbetold.com. I already like it. Okay, the truth must be told. dot com, and let me just make sure I just actually launched it today. Um, you launched this site. Yeah, the truth must be told. dot com. Let me ask you: Do you have a television? Uh, I do, but it doesn't you get do. turned on. Very Good, because I was going to say uh, the I only way know. you can get all this shit done is by not having yeah. a TV, right? My kid kind of watches. Of you course, know. your kid does. Yeah. Do you monitor what your kid watches? Because there's so much garbage. Yeah, I just I, I let them I let them watch um, Nickelodeon, but the kids right. Nickelodeon it's pretty harmless. The other day I was watching a clip of Nickelodeon, Doug. Remember that show, Doug? Yeah, he doesn't watch that. He doesn't watch that? He's two and a half years old. I just realized one of the episodes, his Doug's friend comes and says, You raped Patty! Like, Jesus, was I watching this shit? (laughs) But anyway, um, this is one of the things that I think about. Like, when I have a kid, am I going to restrict the amount of TV? Like, what channels is safe, you know? Unfortunately, you really have to. I think. Yeah, no, no, I agree. Um, But but anyway, getting back to this, the truthmustbetold.com. Sure. um, What happened was there was a gentleman, a truth hound, or he was a self-declared truth hound, that at uh, Brown University in Rhode Island, 
Huh. Uh, he spoke to a class, a master's class. And I have a feeling he didn't tell the truth. Oh, he not just did he not tell the truth, it makes you wonder whether anything he said was the truth. And what's this guy's name? This guy's name is Ted Borosian. Ted Borosian. And what his claim to fame was in the Armenian community was in 1988, I believe it is, he had a PBS uh, special on the Armenian genocide. He was the first one to get something about the Armenian genocide. Uh-huh. Unfortunately, and I've spoken to people who actually knew this guy or knew of him and so on, the idea kind of he he uh, acquired from somebody else. What did he say about the genocide? Well, I'm not sure because I haven't actually seen the documentary, but the people that have seen it uh-huh. said it was just a couple inches short of garbage. So I don't know. I really want to see it. I just haven't gotten my hands on it. He's speaking against the Armenians? No, he's supposed to be speaking for the Armenians. But gibberish. I'm not, not making sure. any sense. I'm you not don't sure. Yeah, I can't. So what was the I don't want to tell a lie here right. because, you know, but all I know is from what other people told me. Then so you'll I really pull a Bolosian. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to do that. And, you know, we. I actually, I'd like to start using that. Don't pull a Bolosian on me. <laughs> well, no, let's not give him any fame either. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because, <laughs> you know, that's no true. kind of publicity, bad publicity is good yeah. publicity. But anyway, well, he's actually getting a lot of fame from this. But what okay. happened was, what happened? Um, as I said, Monty Melkonian, uh-huh. this, this uh, guy from Visalia, born in Visalia, California, becomes a commander in the Artsakh Liberation Army Jesus. and a very well-known one. He actually, they credit him for basically saving the country. They were giving it back when Monte showed up. And he organized an army. He had 4,000 men under his control. And he was winning battle after battle after battle. Unfortunately, he was killed on June 12, 1993. Uh-huh. Along with him, my wife's father also was killed. So oh. that's why I know a lot about him, because I've been researching what happened that day. And okay. a, a book is going to come out eventually about that. Okay. Um, but basically, Ted Borosian uh, characterizes Monty Melkonian as a, a radical who... Uh, was doing pretty much the same thing Ted Bogosian was doing, trying to get genocide recognition, but in a more, he calls it, traditional manner. And he had become radicalized. He said he started selling drugs, started selling arms. He's talking all this about this revolutionary fighter. Yes. And he said he Who died in battle. Yes. And he said he started a terrorist movement. Right. Now, that one really took me back because we are terrorists maybe to the Turks, but for right, an because Armenian we're to, resisting their exactly, takeover. Exactly, but for an Armenian to call another Armenian a terrorist tells you something. Yeah, I'm wondering, is yeah. anyone poking this guy in the back? Where does he get his uh, motives from? I don't know, but supposedly... Like dick, you know, the, oh. the pick. <laughs> <laughs> so, supposedly, or not supposedly, I know factually, huh. he actually visited Monte in prison... Okay. Before Monte died. Monte was in uh-huh. prison in France. He was a member of the Armenian uh, Secret Army for the Liberation of Armenia, called okay. Asala, which is considered a, uh, a terrorist organization um, um, by the U.S. government and also the Turks, of course, and uh-huh. some, other organ- some other countries. I mean, it is, it is considered— Monte a, was in this group. Monte was in this group, huh. but Monte actually broke away from this group. Because um, and this was the this was the military the the military or militia or whatever it was right. the the violent side of it he broke away from that and he started a revolutionary movement which they never carried out they never killed anybody they never blew up anything they never nothing right. I mean they were just doing propaganda basically trying to get the messages out there so what ended up happening was Ted characterized Monte as doing this and he also mentioned he went to go see Monte in prison right. and Monte was frightened for his life because he thought Ted was there to kill him this is in a high security French prison where you got this thick glass between you and the guy you're watching it's yeah. like what are you gonna, how are you going to you know, kill but, me but with a laser Ted or something did Ted ever make threats to Monte other than writing about him no, he never. It wasn't really threats. He was what just what, misinformation. What Ted, what Ted Bogosian was doing was Ted Bogosian was trying to sensationalize something. I'm not sure what he was trying to sensationalize. Yeah, I'm not sure either. He was trying to. Maybe he was trying. I mean, I don't even want to speculate here. Yeah. But to make a long story right, short, right. I, I I contacted Ted Bogosian, um, and I told him I'm very interested because I was I'm writing this book about Monte and this uh-huh. whole you know whatever. And so I wanted to know. You know, you got some really interesting. I would like to know. Did he sell yeah. arms? Did he sell drugs? Because this would actually wouldn't make me think any differently of him. Right. It was just I want to know. Yeah, you, know, you wanted to, him to present the evidence yeah, that he exactly. was involved in all this stuff. And instead of that, what I ended up was getting ignored. He just went silent. Of course. So what I ended up doing was I launched a website called. TedBorosian.com. And <laughs> he didn't buy it? <laughs> no, you bought should. it before him? I know. No, I, I don't want to sell it because I didn't no, do it for good. profit. That's good. Because then I could be accused of other things. And that wasn't my intention. I bet that got his attention. It did, actually. And it not just got his attention. He wrote me. and he Because I wrote an, an article. And I published it in um, an Armenian online paper. 
uh-huh. an online journal. And then I also started TedBogosian.com and I posted it there. And right. I made sure that we were going to get hits. So if anybody searched Ted Bogosian, it would go to TedBogosian.com, which said basically truth hound, you know, not right. telling the truth right. type thing or whatever. Right. And it wasn't a bad – actually, my initial correspondence with him was very cordial and very nice. And just, you know, I'd like, I'm interested. And but the never, fact that you bought the guy's name is not very cordial or well, very nice. Well, no, because at that point he was he was clear that he was ignoring me. I knew he was getting my messages, sure. and I knew he was ignoring me. So then I get a, a message from him saying, I'll contact you tomorrow. I knew it was coming. Right after you bought the site. It, right after yeah. I, I launched everything launched and whatever, right, and I right. sent him an email. No one had seen the site either. It wasn't even like made public. Right. And, and so what ended up happening was... Um, I get an email the next day, and I talked to Monte's widow, and I told her what was going on because she knew all, already what had been going on and so huh. on. She had heard about it also. She's a little bit upset about it, very upset, sure. in fact, which understandable. You know, called your husband, her husband a terrorist, drug dealer, arms dealer, which he wasn't any of those things. Right. And to kill innocent people, which he wasn't involved with, and so on and so forth. So what ended up happening was I get a letter from Ted Bogosian's attorney. Uh-huh. Basically, one of these Caesar, you know, like, stop what you're doing or I'm going to sue your ass type thing. Right. A threatening letter. Right. So I decided to stop for a minute and, and take a step back and then really attack. And basically, I wrote <laughs> another article, and it was basically touching on everything because it was obviously he was getting my correspondence. Under threat, just push harder. It, that's what you're supposed to do. Well, the yeah. whole thing is if you do get threatened by an attorney, you know you're in the right you're going yeah, in the right direction. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And so basically, once you get a hold of the jugular, you just squeeze down a little bit yeah. harder. And that's that's the only way. Really, that you're the best win. thing people can do to get rid of you is ignore you, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. If but, he kept ignoring you after you bought <laughs> TedPoloshian.com, oh, it no, probably I, wouldn't have escalated as far. It, it probably wouldn't have gotten to. No, it would have. It would have. Oh okay. yeah, with me it would. You you had you had a certain passion. Yeah, you I had already to pull I already decided that I had to do something because I knew it was I knew they were all lies. I knew there was right. no way at evidence because I had been researching this guy for ten years. Yeah, and you. And if something like that existed. So there you I go, Sean. The guy did research, and he had a bit of confidence in him that now he knows a piece of truth that the world should know. And he went out and put forth the effort to spread that. You don't think there's power in that? You're, you're confusing what I'm saying, though. He actually did something. He wasn't just talking to his friends about it. He actually made a website, attacked the guy, did, did something about it. It wasn't just like hanging out with his boys well, and going, it, but this, this shit it wasn't really an, sucks. Uh, yeah. Let me just, uh, it wasn't an attack. It was just doing the right thing. I, it wasn't, my intention wasn't to attack but, this But guy. it was an action. It wasn't just talk. Yeah, That's was. what I'm saying. You, so you did talk something. leads to action. So First, you have to know what the problem is before you solve it, no? No, sorry, I think right, that we'll okay. I think that he didn't he didn't go around talking to people about it. He did something about it. He did a pro act, he did an action right, to attack. And the isn't guy. that the second step after talking about it? Actually, Alex, you know, don't talk, I think don't talk about I think it, that's just the do first it. step. Yeah, I, I agree with Shant on this. Um, talk is cheap. You know, right. you've heard that. No, right. It's it's usually better to do something and then talk about it later. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Because when you do talk about it, or do it something first, and have others yeah. talk about it, and it, it becomes an idle thread. Also, it becomes it people just kind of get bored of hearing about it, and then a lot of times nothing happens. Right. But basically, my the last thing that I did, and actually I launched it a while back, but I haven't promoted it. I'm promoting uh-huh. it here today. If you go to the truth must be told dot com, uh-huh. on the right hand side of the screen, there's a picture. Monty Milconian, it says petition. Uh-huh. You can also become activists today. Okay. And I don't, I don't encourage you to sign the petition until you read what the petition is and sure. what it's about. Sure. Um, I don't believe in, in telling people, go vote for this person because they're my friend. Right. You right. have to decide that that person is worthy of being voted for and so on to have your, your vote. So what I suggest you do or what I, what I ask you to do at least is to go to uh, thetruthmustbetold.com. We will. Go to the – there's some articles there. There's actually four articles on the front page. There's also – you'll see a a beautiful picture of Ted Borosian. So you'll Uh see what this guy looks like also. I mean he seems like the nicest guy. And you can actually hear his his podcast and you can hear his voice. He's so convincing. I mean when I heard him initially, I was like – Wow, this guy is like he's you know singing the song that I love. Well, he's got to be convincing you know? to rally four thousand troops together, right? Well, no, that's you're talking. We're talking about Monte. This is Ted Bogosian. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, Monte was okay. fighting Ted Bogosian. Yeah. yeah. So basically, uh, Ted Bogosian, um, we have started a petition, which basically says either you know shit or get off the pot. You know, present the evidence, right? Uh, or retract your statements and get that crap taken off of the internet mm-hmm. because when somebody that's convincing speaks and you don't know the the stuff that's behind it or you don't know the the real facts you're going to take that as a fact and now history has been rewritten so if somebody listens to his podcast and doesn't know that we're talking about this and that right. it's a lie right. they're going to say oh this Monty Milconian guy he killed innocent people and on top of that 
They made him a national hero in Armenia. He is a na- he's he's like the second or third national hero wow. in Armenia uh-huh. after Vehapar, basically. Mm-hmm. Okay, and or was it before Vehapar? Before uh, Vasken Arachin. Mm-hmm. But basically, what he's also saying is Armenians make terrorists into national heroes, people that kill innocent people. Monte was so against killing innocent people. In fact, the killings that took place that Ted Bogosian talks about, he even talks about an airport in Turkey that there was an explosion. Monte left the organization, broke the organization up, worked against the organization to demolish it within so it wouldn't do those kind of things. And Ted Bogosian accuses him of being the mastermind behind, of the, behind these killings. Is Ted Bogosian in some way affiliated with the Turkish government or anybody who would be wanting to put out these false information? I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. Because Something has to be pushing this guy or pushing buttons because why would someone just for no reason put out lies? You know, the, the, the people that do those kinds of things... He works for BP. Are, are those, you know, the, uh, the public opinion changers for the Israeli lobby groups and all those kinds of things, uh-huh. you know, like... I, I'd, I'd like to think more along the line of Ted Bogosian is just an incompetent individual that doesn't know how to do research um, and, he gets and is his looking for looking for sensationalism. He's in the media, right? You know, and he wants to he wants a, he needs a good story. And what's interesting is he paraphrases what he says about Monte. He says, "This didn't make the cut in my film." Because my documentary, because if it had, they wouldn't have aired it on TV. Right. So now all of a sudden the sensationalism comes. Now you want to listen to what he's got to say. What is this that wouldn't have made the cut? Well, the fact is that if Ted Bogosian had put that in the cut, he would have been in deep shit because then people would have stood up and say, What do you, you know, Monty Milconian himself, he, I mean, he would have done something about it, you know? Right. Or maybe he would have laughed it off, but I don't know. I really right. don't. But basically, I'm Ted really Bogosian. I'm interested what this guy's yeah, motives are. I don't know, but maybe people can ask him that, you know? But you, because we do, have, we do have Ted Bogosian's email address also. Right. It's tedbogosian at mac.com. Well, okay, we can write to him. Ted Bogosian, yeah. Bogosian at mac.com. Yes. And in and fact, continue, it's in one continue of, the questioning. Yeah, and you can you can contact his attorney also because if he doesn't want to hear from you, his attorney's email address is in one of my articles also. Okay. So definitely, you you should go through his attorney if we will. In fact, Ted Bogosian doesn't because he may not want to talk to you, but he has an attorney to deal with these issues. Well, look at you. You went out there and made websites and stirred up some noise to protect the credibility of a dead hero. Who does that? Like, uh, that, I would is, hope, that is I would such a valuable uh, thing to do, I think, for not for Armenians, but for human sake. I, for well, I would to hope continue more people fighting. would actually, I, I actually like to think that I was just faster than most. Right. And that's what I like to think. Right. My, it's interesting, my grandfather, who was the activist until his dying days, the last three months mm-hmm. of his life is when he started going downhill. But until then, he was reading constantly, whatever. He was the mastermind behind the... Um, carrying out the, the, the executions of all the Turkish leaders yes. that were um, responsible for the Armenian massacre. Where's the YouTube video and, of that? Yeah, and he basically, they started with Talyat Pasha, and they went on from there. And he always said, it wasn't that I did something special. I was just faster than everybody else. Uh-huh. Everybody probably wanted to do that. Everyone was probably right. planning to do that. And talked just, about doing it. And, yeah, probably. <laughs> and I just beat them to the punch. Right. And that's the same thing with the things that I do is right. when it happens, when, when the, the subject is there, when the things are hot, you got to strike and you got to strike Absolutely. really hard right at that moment because if you let it go, it dies down, you know, Absolutely. and whatever. So when the controversy is going, that's when you've got to strike. That's when you strike. And that's why I'm glad people like you exist. That's why we're going to go check out some of the work you do at thetruthmustbetold.com. And that's why we're going to check out your YouTube video called Desert Heights. Nights. Nights. I meant nights. I tested you and you passed. Yes, it's Anabadi uh, Kishernir in Armenian, but it's, it's mm-hmm. under Desert Nights, and it's in Armenian with uh, English subtitles. Oh, great. Okay. Yeah. So everyone can get the message from that. And it's by Ara Manugian. Ara, do you have a blog spot people can check out your daily um, activism? I have. Actually, the, the, the video, the Desert Nights, was uh, a couple of us. It was myself and Edik Bartasadian of the Investigative Journalists of Armenia, hetk.am, uh-huh. A-M. And uh, you can also find my blog at aramanugian.com. Aramanugian.com. Yes. Okay. Ara, thank you so much for coming, taking the time to do this. And thank you for having me on. I Absolutely. I really believe that you are making a difference and will continue to make a difference. I hope others will do the same. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Thank you. <laughs>